Welcome to another episode of SharkBites.net, where we delve into issues of tech leadership in the public sector. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to SharkBites.net. Here now is our host, Dr. Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute, now a division of Fusion Learning Partners. Hi there, this is Alan Shark, and welcome to another episode of SharkBytes.net. As you may have heard, PTI, the Public Technology Institute, has moved. We are now part of the nonprofit Fusion Learning Partners, headquartered in St. Paul, Minnesota. And as we transit to our new home, which we're very excited, we thought we would go back and examine a few episodes that were really standouts in the last couple of years. The one I have in mind for this episode is one about mosquito districts, of which there are 700 across the country. We're going to be talking with Robert Ferdan, who, since this interview, has become a CGCIO, certified CIO in our CGCIO program, sponsored by PTI with the cooperation of Rutgers Center for Government Services. We met at a MESEC event in North Lake Tahoe and on a chilly evening in November of 2021, we met over a cigar and talked about many things and I realized this guy's got a story to tell. For those unfamiliar with MESEC, MESEC stands for the Municipal Information Systems Association of California, a great organization. So without further ado, let's go back to this wonderful episode is to talk to Robert Ferdan, who is the IT director for the Alameda County Mosquito District. So this is something that is just something that is kind of curious. You know, we think of pests and mosquitoes. We don't always put IT together in all of this. So I thought this would be a great way to start the year and talk about those pesky little things, which I can't even shut off now. There we go. Uh, and and talk to uh, Bob. And so, Robert, thank you for being on. Oh, thank you for having me, Alan. So we always begin our podcast. We love to get a sense of how people got involved with technology. And I want to start as a child. I mean, was it something that you played with tinker toys, erector sets, electric stuff? What got you involved and made you curious to wind up into the technology field? Yeah, well, I, I'm kind of like uh, all young people, hopefully, that they uh, they see the electronics around them. And one of the things that were uh, really picking up steam at the time when I was young was the Ataris and and all of the video games that were coming online. I want that's that's kind of telltale my age, but uh, it was uh, Pong and all of these 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 video games are starting to to come to fruition. So. Um, I really was interested in the technology and what made them tick. And so the electronics on the back end is something that I was starting to dabble in at a very young age. So take us a little further than somewhere along the line, you got involved with technology in terms of employment. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't a straight straight line for me. It never uh, is. It <laughs> hardly ever is. Yeah, gr uh, growing up, I actually grew up on a on a plant nursery, and my uh, dad had a successful plant nursery in Stockton and Vacaville, California. Um, and then in the late seventies, uh, the one in Vacaville burned down, 
So, um, unfortunately we lost our business and my dad not being the type of person to sit around and, and, you know, let it all go. He, uh, bought a lawnmower and a, uh, and a weed eater and all the things we needed to do to start a yard business. So, um, we, um, uh, from there, I got into the yard business, which is kind of weird how that, how that connects with technology. But what had happened was um, during that time, he uh, was looking for employment in someplace that had medical insurance because my mom needed medical insurance at the time. She had some medical issues. And so he actually got a job with uh, Alameda County. Um, and once he got a job with Alameda County, I was, uh, I was uh, actually running the yard business in Stockton and he said, you have to get in with it, with the, with the government, the government's the place to be. And so I said, okay, great. So I took a test for a gardener. And next thing you know, um, I get hired at Santa Rita jail. And the first job I had was running a, a team of inmates, a 25 person crew of inmates. And, uh, that was kind of my first step getting into the government. But at the same time, I always had an aptitude towards electronics and t towards uh, computer systems at the time. So I was always the person that was fixing the computers uh, for, for that program. I worked with the sheriff's department and I always had the ability to be able to jump into an electronic system and, and get it going. Um, one of my earliest memories is I did have a ColecoVision and um, that ColecoVision was a great game, but my friend had, I don't know if you've ever heard of a K-Pro 10. It was a CPM machine. Yeah, I had the, I had the K-Pro 2. Oh, really? <laughs> it looked like so, a doomsday thing on a big metal suitcase type with a handle, a CPMM, double-sided, exactly. uh, single-density discs. Oh, exactly. yeah. Exactly. So me being young, I lived out in the country, and this guy comes up with this computer, and he wanted to play games. And I said, well... Uh, okay, that, that's that's uh, that's great. But I'd really like to look at that computer. So I actually traded them straight across. Little did I know it was probably hot because that was like a ten thousand dollar machine back then. I would have I wouldn't have had access to it. But that really got me into WordStar and and into Personal Pearl, which was one of the first databases. And so fast forward, that was kind of a little excerpt from my earlier life. But now once I got into uh, working at the jail. I was able to use those those uh, those things that I learned when I was a little bit younger on that K Pro 10, um, and I was able to to make a database of, of things that we needed to do for the inmates and things like that. And the sheriff's department liked what I did, so the technology I learned when I was younger actually gave me a leg up into um, the career that that I was ultimately going to get into. Um, and fast forward a few more years. Um, I was working for Juvenile Hall and uh, still is in the same capacity, but um, we were at a hospital. We, our client is a, was for a hospital and they decided to privatize. The county had gave me two options. One, either go into IT entry level or uh, be laid off. I, I picked the IT side of it and that's how I ultimately got into, into uh, technology. This is no straight line, but you certainly had on-the-job learning. So how did it cross the line from these support services to actually get fully integrated with Alameda County in terms of IT? Yeah, it's so, so 
early on, because this is my probably by then it was my mid twenties. Um, I realized I didn't have the the, the traditional education, um, and I was basically working a help desk. And um, but I was learning quickly, very quickly. Uh, I love my job and I love the people that I work with. Unfortunately, they didn't have a training budget and I wasn't getting access to enterprise level systems. So um, I made the decision to uh, leave that job and go into one that had enterprise level systems. What's interesting is everybody told me not to go. In fact, the director on now, they loved, they, you know, we worked well together. And so they're like, ah, oh, please don't go. And so I, uh, I made that decision to, to leave and it was an endless training budget. I could get the certifications I needed. I could get the, it was actually kind of a step backwards, but I could get what I needed to do to get to the next level. And by doing that, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Sometimes you got to take a step backwards to move forwards. Correct. And um, that's what that was. Uh, and I stayed there for a few years till I was able to get to the point where I decided I need more management training. And then I changed jobs once again. I was trying to find all of the pieces of the puzzle to put together to get to that next level. So fast forward a little bit. You saw an opportunity. Uh, Alameda is a, is a very large county and one of PTI's members. Sure. Um, and so now suddenly you see an opportunity to work for the Mosquito District. Yeah. What attracted you there? I mean... That's a little unusual for many of us listening to this program. Yeah, and again, with me, it's not a straight line. So, um, while I was working, um, while I was working in the position I was I was in, I was in management. Um, we were part of we were part of an agency that was taken over. Uh, all of a sudden, we had uh, everybody pretty much evacuated their positions, kind of like what's happening now. It's it's almost like a carbon copy, but it was. Things were changing. People weren't happy, so they were leaving. Uh, so I I was very overworked at the time, and I think what happens in the IT field, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like we work ourselves to death. It's the weirdest thing, but we always push because a lot of good us, people good people do that. Yes. Yeah, and I, I I was the same way, and I was neglecting my life. I was neglecting a lot of things I shouldn't have because. I was, I was pushing myself way too hard. And unfortunately I had a heart attack and mm. it was, uh, it was a very big wake up call. And I was looking at what was happening around me. And I thought, you know, I can't continue down this, this path anymore. And it's strange because after that, I, I actually started talking to other peers around me and they were kind of in the same boat. They're like, our stress levels are so high, but we don't know how to reduce them. And a lot of times we bring it on ourselves, like I was saying. So that was what, that was my wake up call. I decided I had to make a change. And um, so I had a friend that was uh, working for the Alameda County Mosquito Abatement District and a friend of a friend actually and she i had helped her out with a few with a few database issues they had and she's she, we were talking about what was going on she said why don't you come work for us i was like i'm working for this huge county and you want me to reduce down to how many users do you have and they had 16 at the time and i was like wow i'm going to be bored so quick this is not worth my time 
And she said, well, why don't you come talk to the board member and the, uh, and the manager and um, just talk to them. And so that's what I did is I, I, I had a meeting with them and they said they gave me one of the best possible you know, reasons for leaving. We'll give you your, your life back. You can build this from the ground up and we'll give you your life back, which they did. I mean, it's it was one of the best moves I've ever made. Again, trying to think outside the box um, actually netted quite a great result because netted. I like that term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fish that right up. But um, yeah, yeah, it really did. It, it did. And uh what i've been able to do with the district is completely i would have never been i've never been able to do it in a large organization so the moving to a special district was uh, one of the best moves i could have made so many people are not aware we know the big counties we know the cities we hear of townships there is something like you know 30 40,000 special districts of all kinds how many mosquito abatement districts are there? Do you have a handle? I assume mostly in California and Florida. Oh, no. no oh, in fact, well, there's probably I more had, than that. I'm just, you know, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just had a meeting with uh, the Metropolitan uh, Mosquito District in Minnesota. And they're one of the okay. largest mosquito ba yes. uh, abatement districts in the U.S. They have like eight or nine counties. And it was interesting talking to them because that's one of the things I'm one of my one of one of the things I really want to do is to unite um, all of these vector control mosquito abatement districts across the United States. Um, in California, we, uh, we have the MVCAC, which really is a good organization to have for, for information transference, but there really isn't that for the rest of the United States. In fact, they were saying they felt like they were siloed because nobody talks to them. This is mm -hmm. this is huge. They've got like five helicopters and ten planes. I mean, they're they're huge. So it's I really felt good that we could actually bring them into the fold to get them into our our world of of communication. And so you had a handful of people. I looked on your website the other day. I mean, you have over thirty people now. When you look at the uh, scientists, you you have it broken down. I think three classifications, right? You have office. Um, you have field and then you have lab. Yes, yes, that is correct. Uh, so, so as far as our district goes, um, we're, we would be considered a, a medium district. I, I don't know as far as uh, special districts, if your audience knows what they are, but a special district is usually formed when there's, there's a need in society that the county, city, or state can't fill so they go to the voters to to create a new service so for us as mosquitoes when, when the developers came to california they had their own pest control and and so they built all these houses and they said see you later and people and the whole bay area was swarmed with with mosquitoes they couldn't go out with i've got videos of people going out to play golf and they they have to wear uh, uh, bug nets because they they could they were just getting swarmed. So what they did is they formed the special district. It's a new taxation on on parcels, and then uh, you have a board that you answer to an independent board from the county or the city. So yeah, so we're we're uh, we we have a full board, 
And right now, I think we're sitting at 19 employees. Okay. So uh, we have a, an entomologist, a virologist, one of the best, I think, in the country. Uh, our, our manager is, is such a forward thinker, and he's the reasons why I can do the things that I need to do uh, as far as technology goes. I like to, I, I really like to think that we are an incubator instead of, instead of just a service organization. And I, it's interesting because I've seen so many other special districts. I also consult with other districts. Like I, 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 I work with Napa, San Mateo. I've worked with ones in Texas and, and, and back East. And to me, there's, there's a, a lot of a lot of these organizations just want to do the status quo. They just want to kill the bugs. And I, I tell you the truth, I didn't know anything about mosquitoes when I first started. <laughs> but um, they want to keep the status quo. One of the things that Ryan Klausnitzer, my manager, when when I first came in, he says, he said, I want to be a leader. I want to I want to be on the next level. All of the ideas you have for 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 bleeding edge technology, let's at least look at them, take them to the board, and see if we can do it. So um, that's how I see our district as an incubator for these technologies for the rest of the the mosquito and vector control agencies in the United States. In fact, the software we developed was also being used in Brazil uh, for the sterile the sterile mosquito project. So not only does does the work we do affect you know our our citizens, but also the rest of, of the sector. And I remember you pointing out to me that mosquitoes carry you know some of the uh, the worst um, germs viruses out there than uh, any other uh, insect on the planet. They're the number one killer in the world. I mean, yeah. malaria in Africa. Um, we had the, the, the Zika flare up not too long ago. And that's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting because we always have these conversations with the entomologist because I'm, I'm kind of the, the, the thought, let's just kill them all, figure out a way to get rid of them. And they're like, no, that's not morally right. And it's like, well, uh, that's how I feel. I mean, if, if it's the number one killer, then you have problems with population control and, you know, all of the other issues, but uh, then you have famine and, you know, but there, there's a lot of moving parts, but you know, that's how I feel about it. So much of what you do then is to perfect meaningful databases, probably leading to visualized data. What are the technologies you're most proud of? Yeah. So, so when I first started with the district, um, there uh, geo databases, you know, everybody's been using them forever. You use them in almost any device that you have, right? Your phone has got a geographic geographic database, right? I mean, it's it's they're tracking you. They they know where you are. They're going to use that information somewhere else. Um, when I first started, they were still using just uh, just standard forms and access, and so I decided to partner with a. Uh, company called Leading Edge that didn't have what I wanted, um, but they gave me access to, to their engineers and their, um, their developers. And I actually recreated their database so that they would, we would have the ability to uh, actually track the data in real time with what was happening in the field, whether it was with the temperature, rainfall, where the technicians were, 
the history so we could actually uh, look at the data and make better decisions on how we treat and when we treat and uh, how to actually kill mosquitoes in, in, in an informed way. So that was one of the first things I did there was create this, this uh, database. Well, we recreated the database and have the ability for our technicians to go out and um, use, use tablets in real time. So if somebody called in a service request, we can have somebody at your house. This is for government now. If they're in the area, we can have them at your house in four hours. If, if, uh, if they have to come back to the district, we can have them at your house within a day. So people, when people call in for service requests, they're just astounded by it, but we prioritize it. We send it out to their tablets and, um, and the AI, we run it through an AI to figure out, you know, uh, how important it is, what, where they have to go first. And it, and it works out fairly well. Um, the other thing we do is, is the other thing that we put in the database is we look for green pools because green pools, um, these are swimming pools, correct? Yes, green swimming okay. pools. Yes, sir. And uh, green swimming pools, millions of mosquitoes can can breed in swimming pools. So now these are neglected just for the, those, because I, I already asked this question before. Yeah. The, these are pools that are somewhat neglected, might one might, and it's growing algae. And so someone's not caring for it. And therefore they're turning green as opposed to having aerators and, and keeping them fresh. Yeah, yeah. What happens, it's... It, a lot, a lot of times it's, it's almost a sad story. You know, we have people calling the district and when they were younger, they might've had this beautiful house and this nice pool. And as they get older, you know, the, the people get older, they, they can't take care of the pool anymore. Maybe they, they, they're in a home. And so the, the house is just sitting empty. The pool turns green and okay. our, our service is free. I mean, we'll go out there and what we do is we put mosquito fish in, in their pool and we'll treat it so that the mosquitoes don't set up shop in their pool. Once we establish fish in it, um, it's, you know, it's no, nothing's going to, it's going to grow too long in there because those fish get hungry. So they'll, they'll definitely eat the, uh, eat any larva that's in there. But um, the, we, we had a, a plan to, to really look at these pools with a flyover. And I thought, well, why can't we do this with satellite technology? Why can't we use AI to determine these pools, see if they're green or not, see if there's pools there, see if they're green or not. And instead of sending technicians out, which is a waste of everybody's time, why don't we send out notices um, to, and that was one of my managers big, you know, we were sitting there brainstorming. It's great brainstorming with, with uh, that's, I don't see that enough with, with the CIOs and with, with upper level management where you actually, you know, give and take of ideas and, and we were That's how innovation comes about. That's how innovation and, comes about. And, yeah. and if there's anything I got to say on this program is that's what people need to do is just be able to exchange ideas, not just this is my yeah. idea. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, I digress. But um, so we were talking about uh, ways that we could we could send notices out and another district was kind of working on it. So we actually integrate it into our database. So we had a plane flyover, which we've been trying satellite, which I'll get to, but we have a plane flyover, take the pictures, AI looks at it, say they look at, is it green? Is it not green? If it's green, then we'll put it into your database. From there, we send out three notices saying, hey, your pool's green, take mm -hmm. care of it. And we have a picture of their pool from, because we cut it, we cut out the pool and we use the assessor data from the county we uh, send out uh, send out the notices. 
Then if they don't comply within the three times, then we send our technician out, they take their tablet and they would walk up to the owner or, or the, the person that, that lives there and they show them a picture of their pool and say, your pool's green, we need to take care of this pool. And we've had 100% compliance. This year was a little bit sketchy. I'm not sure why, but the, for the last three years in a row since we've been doing this, we've had 100% compliance every time without having to get the sheriff involved because it, it is a nuisance. If you do have a green pool, it can mean really bad things for your neighbor. Is it a violation of some regulation or law? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, yeah, for sure. Because if you're if if you have mosquitoes breeding out of it, um, that's a health code violation. So um, we can actually we can get a warrant and we can get into the property, but we haven't had to. So, so what about drones? You talk about flyovers. I get that. Can you use mm -hmm. drones for this? No, not in California. California is really kind of rough with the drones. You can't fly it over populated areas. We do use drones. In fact, um, I, I've, I've done several papers. And one, I work with uh, Dr. Eric Haas-Stapleton. Um, he's in charge of our, our uh, drone program. And so we actually use it out in the marshes. Uh, we're looking at for surveillance and for treatments out in the marshes. Uh, he's, he's done a really good job with, with that program, but unfortunately it's not over, over populated areas. So we can fly and we were using, I actually, uh, did a POC with Airbus. Um, and the problem with Airbus is we tried it with the AI, but at two meter, you really can't get the resolution. You need to see a pool, see what you need to see in the pool. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 30 centimeters, the best place. To be, we're working with a company called NearMap now um, to see what we could we we can work out with them. So if we can get the down to thirty centimeter, which they do have thirty centimeter satellites, we are we we have been in communication with them, but actually the uh, the uh, government uses them quite a bit. So to get them to to fly a swath over our area is sometimes a, a little bit harder. So, mm -hmm. not that we're not we're not ruling it out we're still working on it there's several districts and myself that are trying to get them to uh to do it for us so, so were you affected by the great pivot when we uh were hit with the epidemic i mean the pandemic i mean we just hear these stories of of people you know totally transforming getting into a digitized world i mean what was the impact with you yeah so uh that's interesting for when i first started uh I, I know we probably shouldn't do this, but um, I've always wanted to kind of throw out the Microsoft handbook. Uh, so I, I first thing I did is I got rid of all of our servers and I started clouding just about everything I could get my hands on, hmm. um, pushing everything into the cloud, giving it, getting everybody on Office 365. And um, the main reason is we were dealing with a lot of crypto lockers in my, in my previous job where they had just started coming online we were leaving and it's always Friday at five o'clock you know, last 20 minutes of the day and a uh, crypto locker would, would hit and there goes my weekend. Yeah. So I, I was formulating the whole time ways that I could, I could change the way that we do business. So the crypto lockers wouldn't affect us. 
And so one of those things were, man, they love shares. They love shares and they love servers. So <laughs> first thing you do is figure out a way to get rid of those. And what you need is you need a large enough pipe coming to, or several pipes because you gotta have redundancies to come to your, your, your location and then put everything in the cloud. Then back that up separately, and I use up a, I use a company called Backupify that does Office 365 tenants, backs all, the whole thing up. But um, so to to get to your question, uh, when when it was time to flip the switch and everybody couldn't come to work anymore, um, nothing changed. Nothing changed. They all were able to. We had we had them being able to get into their Office 365 accounts. The database was completely online. It's EC2. Everything is either in Amazon or it's in Microsoft. So uh, we just told our way, work from home, take your laptop, and uh, we didn't skip a beat. We didn't even, the, the morning that, that we told our way to work from home, they might have missed an hour while they were getting set up, but we just kept on rolling. It was just. It so was you just become the resilient district. So you've done some amazing things. Let me say, I was amazed when uh, you shared your email address with me. Mm -hmm. How did you wind up with mosquitoes.org for I, I your district? To. That is pretty amazing. <laughs> I have to really thank my predecessor because uh, when I saw that, I was like, no way, you got mosquitoes. And actually, the AMCA has got mosquito.org. And I was like, oh, I'd love to get that one. But yeah, mosquitoes, she she did a great job in grabbing it. And I checked uh the registry is like, oh, she locked it up for five years. So I can't let that one fall because if that one goes, when that one's gone, it's done. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great mosquitoes.org is, is a great domain. It's, it's worked out well. Yeah. I thought it was a personal email address until I realized that that's your district and that's your domain. Yeah. Um, it'd be nice cool to get mosquitoes. Yeah. It'd be nice to get mosquitoes.gov, but for such a small district, that'd be impossible, I think, to get. But Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because there's a move of it at the federal level to change all local governments to .gov. That would be, if that happens, it's possible. I can tell you who to talk to. So oh, really? Uh, let's yes. talk after for sure. All right. All right. Yeah, well, yeah. That's great. I, I would love .gov. That would be, that would be, I remember back when I was working for the county, we actually had the old the old addresses and we were moving over to the uh the uh dot orgs and they were trying to get a dot gov at the time and it wasn't even for a county level it was impossible to you get know it. i don't want to offer false promises because the more i think about the regulation it may require to have something like alameda in the name like alameda mosquito.gov i'll take it <laughs> okay all right so uh, if you really want the dot gov there are ways yeah yes. yeah that'd be awesome that'd be okay. great yeah so I think you've already shared, but I will ask, you know, what do you love most about your job? You seem to be really um, enjoying it. You seem to have lots of challenges, more than most people might realize. But I think you've given us some really good examples yeah. of the fact that you're challenged every day. Yeah, uh, every day. And, and that's the when I first started the job, like I told you right at the beginning, um, I thought within a couple months I'd be bored out of my mind. I really did. I mean, that's just in fact, I. I the, the first uh, presentation I did for the MVCAC was how to work yourself out of a job because the way I want to do it was the way I want, I see these special districts is you find these, these processes that, that just eat up your time and, and you find ways to automate and you, you make the job easier and you make it so that instead of spending your time spinning your wheels, you're actually innovating. 
and that was that was what I was going to try to get to. But what's happened as as time goes on, and what I do love about my job is that there's always something new. There's always something that that, that needs to be thought of in a different way, in ways we can we can create new processes to to be better at what we do. And the, the team I have, whether, like I said, whether it's the manager or, or entomologist or our, our regulatory affairs person, I work, and even the crew, this is the best crew I've ever worked with in my life. I mean, everybody cares. We, we argue sometimes quite a bit because we all care about what we're doing. And that is, you know, that's, that's what I love is that everybody has the passion for the job that they do. They want to make this world a better place. And, and looking at it back through my, my career, that's kind of what I always wanted to strive for is, is I have money and, and everything else that, you know, when you're, when you're learning and you're coming up through life. Um, but what you really want is you want to make a difference in the world. And I think everybody that works at this district wants to make that difference. And so I enjoy just coming to work and working with, with, with everybody every day. Robert, this is a wonderful story. Time by, went by so quickly. Um, I, I just find this an amazing story. What a beautiful way to start the year with a sense of optimism mm -hmm. and, and a great story. Many lessons for all of us in terms of learning is an ongoing process innovation starts by understanding the processes and always being curious enough to say, can I do it better? Right. Yes. Absolutely. And, and that's something that um, I saw in you and uh, you've done an amazing job. You, you work with other districts that uh, have similar missions and we take for granted the fact that these little pests are crazy and, and uh, they're, they're, they are really, um, can affect public health. So you're dealing with two bugs that you have to worry about, viruses from the cyber end and these little pests in, in terms of pest control. So we've been listening to Robert Friden, who is the IT director for the Mosquito Abatement District of Alameda County. Robert, thank you for sharing your insights. You're very welcome. And I'd just like to say one last thing is if you're ever mm -hmm. looking to get in a new career, please look at special districts. They are a wonderful place to work. It's a really good advice. Thank you for being with us for another wonderful podcast of Shark Bites. What an interesting interview. Mosquitoes. You've been listening to another episode of SharkBites.net. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to SharkBites.net. And if you or someone you know has a story to tell, please let us know.